Hello, this is Daryl here, sending love as always. Thank you for tuning in. I just want to say, if you like this interview, you can check our website for companion workbooks, action guides, tools, checklists, templates, and show notes with links for everything mentioned on the call. Just visit bestbusinesscoach.ca. That's best, B-E-S-T, businesscoach.ca. Enjoy. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us. My name is Daryl Urbanski, your host as always. And today we are joined by Alex Berman. Alex is co-founder and CMO at X27, a B2B digital marketing agency. He's also co-founder at Caplio, an AI tool making it easy to drive more business from LinkedIn in 10 minutes a day, as well as co-founder at Lead Shark Lead Generation, where you can find millions of verified leads with just a few clicks. So he's also successfully exited from two other software as a service businesses. And today I've asked him to join us here to talk about what's working with profitable cold lead gen for B2B and SaaS. So Alex, thanks for joining us, my friend. How are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm doing yeah. good because one more thing you can add is as of today, I'm also the best-selling author of Cold Email Manifesto. We, <laughs> we were on a uh, best-seller list for three days. There you go. High five. Yeah. Yeah, bro. Right? That's right. <laughs> that's awesome. Congratulations. I know how that feels. So good for you, man. Good for you. Now, before we get into all this exciting stuff, I want to do a bit about your background. Like you're having great success. You're marketing superstar, not to blow hot smoke up your butt. I've seen some of your YouTube videos from like a couple of years ago. So I've known you. It was funny when you replied to that tweet. But how did you get started? Do you come from a family of entrepreneurs? Yeah, my, uh, my parents had a business where they were selling medical supplies in the 90s. After the AIDS crisis, basically what happened is doctors before like 1980 something didn't have to wear gloves. But my parents were in the medical supplies business. So as soon as AIDS happened, gloves were mandated. So everyone mm -hmm. in the world basically needed latex gloves and there was a latex glove shortage. So my dad went down to Mexico and talked to a bunch of balloon manufacturers and got them to start making latex gloves. So uh, he took advantage of that whole thing. Yeah. He basically invented the colored latex gloves. So if you go into a doctor's office or dentist's office, see they got purple gloves. That was all my dad. And it's because they had purple latex at the balloon factory. That's fantastic. <laughs> I love her. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I grew up around, yeah, I grew up around entrepreneurs. They grew their business mostly through cold calling. So I'm a big fan of that outbound approach. I saw it, you know, the whole time. And then now all of our businesses, you know, while you can't really cold call as much, cold calling still works pretty well, but you can't cold call as effectively as you used to. Now we use cold email to grow all of our businesses. So outbound, sending messages to people that don't know you, pitching them in a way that gets them to buy. That is my bread and butter here. And that's what I preach. Yeah. And that's the holy grail. Like if you can get Cold outreach and paid ads, both of those to work, you're golden. I mean, I, I, we beat that drum a lot on this show. I, I mean, I'm all for content marketing. I do I have this podcast and do content marketing. But, you know, when you drive business growth, like there, you have to drive, you have to go out and meet the people and shake the hands, kiss the babies. And, and, you know, and I love that. Well, you know it as a content creator, right? Someone who has an audience. How much time did it take you to actually get your audience to a point where you could sell anything effectively? Right. Yeah. Years. Years. For a lot yeah. Of years. Versus cold email, it could take you days. You know, yeah. You, how long does it take you to write one email, right? That's right. That's right. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. So now does this experience like with your parents, did it mean that your business career was just like smooth sailing from the beginning or 
what were some of your first ventures? I maybe we'll start there. What were some of your earliest ventures? Did you just get into business right away as a kid or? I was always into business as a kid, but no, my parents' business failed. My dad actually died in 2001. Oh, I'm uh, so when I was, when I was, yeah. So when I was 10 years old and then that led to like a period of like full on depression in the household, bro. Business went under like all, all sorts of stuff. Yeah. So I basically started from scratch Wow. and I graduated from college BS in marketing degree, a bachelor of science in marketing, moved to New York with no connections, used cold email basically to get my first job in about two weeks. <laughs> and then from there I was sold on the whole concept. Worked at a startup for a while, made thousands of cold calls, left there, ended up as director of marketing at an agency where I started as a junior sales guy and just started doing the marketing for them until they made me the director uh, and ended up as the top selling salesperson in their agency. Added about a million dollars in bottom line, which is 16% of the revenue at the time. And then I yeah, start, started our own thing and <laughs> it, it hasn't been totally like up, but it's been, you know, moving in the right direction. It's a right direction here and there. <laughs> yeah. Do you feel that the college degree has been very helpful, that formal education in, you know? No. So the first three years of the four-year degree, I feel like I just completely wasted. You know, I was drinking and like hanging out with girls and like, you know, doing whatever. And I broke up with my uh, girlfriend in the year three. And so I was so depressed that I locked myself in my room for months and all I had was business books. So all I was doing is reading like business books. And I got more out of that last semester of just reading audiobooks, riding my bike around the neighborhood, basically not talking to anyone than I did out of the rest of the degree. Ah, and you said when you graduated, you used cold email to get your first job. I love that. So this is your interview, but when I was 17, I did cold email marketing. I didn't even know what I was doing. I was 17, I or just turned 18. I just finished this nine-month leadership program where I got to travel work around Canada. I want to go back to the West Coast, but I had no family, no friends. Well, I had some friends, but I had no family there. So I just sent my stuff on a bus and I like cargo and I was going to hitchhike across Canada to the West Coast. And I just went to the Chamber of Commerce website and I scraped all the business emails and I set up, I had no idea what I was doing. It's spring email campaign. And I was like, first was my resume cover level. Then it was a PowerPoint presentation. Then it was like a final notice. I'm hitting the road, Jack. And it, and it worked. I lined up interviews for when I got out there. So yeah, I tell people all the time that business is like a never ending job hunt. Cause you're always looking to grow and meet new customers. I just want to plant that in people's heads. Now, some people don't understand. They're like, okay, you went to, you, you hitchhiked towards your dream and you got the job on the way there. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I did the same. I moved to New York, no connections. I got the job on the way there. Like people need to fully understand that, you know, there is no being ready. It's just send some emails, take some action, put your back up against the wall and you can succeed. That's I love it. it. I love it. And this cold email work for everything? Is it only work for certain things? Anything in the B2B space, meaning anytime you're selling to other businesses. So if you're selling a product to other businesses, maybe you're working with, you know, copywriting clients or web design clients, you're running an agency, it works. Software as a service, we've used it pretty successfully. Okay, success at software as a service, but the deal size has to be a little bigger. 2000, any, if you're selling anything over 2000 bucks, uh, then cold email works. Okay. Then you're going to be better with content, SEO paid ads like that. But it does work for SaaS. You just have to increase the deal size. Like at Lead Shark, our base pack package is $9 a month. So we can't sell that on cold email, but we can sell, you know, leads to people via Lead Shark, which is, you know, $1,500 a month, $3,000 a month, and $4,500 a month plus. So right. our booking meetings for that, same with Taplio, like you can't get in at $49 a month. You can't sell that on cold email, but you can sell into enterprises. Like for instance, the entire team of Lemlist, which is a cold emailing tool 
yeah. signed on with yeah. I think 30 seats. So you can do that via cold email. So it's got some limitations, but I think the limitations help you at the end to make Yeah. Okay. And I love that you're being transparent with that. That's really helpful. So what would you recommend to someone who's maybe starting out and struggling right now? Like they're like, okay, I'm going to do cold sales. I'm going to do cold calling, cold email, all that. But they're, you know, they're flailing. They don't even know where to start. What do you recommend? Sure. So there's three things you have to figure out before you do a cold email campaign. It's what is the target? What is the offer that you're selling? And what is the case study? What's like the story you have to back up that offer? So for instance, let's say I'm selling to directors of marketing and I'm selling lead generation. And my case study is, you know, last month I worked with Mezzo Labs and we booked 90 meetings in two weeks. So now once you have that for yourself, now you can write a cold email campaign, which basically follows the three C's. So three C's of cold email are compliment, case study, call to action. So you open with a compliment, you know, like, Hey, Daryl, was just listening to your podcast interview with Dennis. You love what you do there. Then case study, you know, I generate leads for enterprise companies. Recently, I worked with Mezzo Labs, you know, an industry, an agency in New York City, and we booked 90 meetings in two weeks and would love to do the same for you. Then the call to action. Mind if I send over a few times for a quick call? Let me know. So you're two-stepping it, right? But when you're emailing, are you just spamming out appointment links? Are you just like, and putting appointment links in the first email? Appointment links. So people don't really like navigating appointment links. And I learned this when I was selling to, you know, top level people in Hollywood for one of our clients. These 50, 60 year old men, first of all, a lot of them don't even use computers. (laughs) But second of all, they don't use the computers and their interns don't understand Calendly. So no, the more manual you can have it, the higher your meeting book rate's going to be. I love it. So no, we just basically follow those, those three C's. The final call to action is mind if I send over a few times for a quick call. And we can phrase that a couple different ways, but the point is you want it to be a yes or no. So mind if I send over a few times? Yeah, sure. Go ahead. Then your foot is in the door at that point. So then you can go back and forth on the meetings. They're already locked in. Uh, right. So rather than sending a, a calendar, you just want that yes or no. Because if you think about what a calendar link is, it is not a single call to action, right? You click on your calendar link. And what is that? There's like 30 different buy buttons, right? What slot am I going to pick? Right, right. right. They're going to bounce off that. So all marketing works best. All copywriting works best when you're pointing people to one specific interaction, one specific end. So yeah. it's the same in cold email. Uh, you just want that yes or no. Got it. And this is very authoritative for people listening. Again, if you don't know Alex, he's done millions in cold email sales. Now, what have been some of your biggest challenges in your career? Like, obviously, you've got your parents did this. You grew up kind of doing that. You went to school to try to learn to do it. You've been doing it since you got out of school. What are some of the biggest challenges that you faced? Like, Right after we started X27, I reached out to another lead gen company that I like, and I ended up you know, talking to them, going back and forth. They were a very quick growing lead database in Silicon Valley. And he ended up, the founder over there ended up giving me 10% of his company to do the marketing. And so for six months, I was running the marketing for this company. We were up to like $1.7 million in sales. And he invited me to Japan to go see these Japanese investors. And so basically I go to Japan and for days, no messages, nothing from this guy. And then like three days later, you know, I'm sitting in Tokyo, sitting at this coffee shop. He messaged me. He's like, yo, where are you at, bro? Where have you been? You know, like, you're like, man, I'm in Tokyo. (laughs) (laughs) And what I realized was... You know, slowly I realized this, that the company and all of the things we were doing for the six months before that were basically Fugazi. It was all 
kind of a, a scam. I don't really know exactly what was going on because I didn't touch the bank accounts or anything, but the team. So there was a director of operations, Kevin, who didn't exist. The CEO was the director of operations with a different name. There was a head of content, Jeff, who was also the director, who was the same guy. Basically, CEO had like four or five different roles in the company. And then, so when, once I figured that out, I basically flew home using the last of my money. Uh, I was at one point, you know, my 10% ownership stake in that company was worth 10 million. So in my mind, I was worth $10 million. So I was going into debt, like spending like I was worth $10 million. Yeah. So I ended, I ended up at my parents' house, $40,000 in debt, and basically just watched this company go from what I thought was 1.7 million a month down to zero. And clients were calling me like, where are the orders? Oh my goodness. And, uh, I was basically just having to refund from what I had. I didn't even have any money. You know what I'm saying? Like wow. the ones that got, the ones that threatened to like say bad stuff about me publicly, I was trying to give them like, yeah. whatever I had, but it was really bad. Yeah. The partner was a Japanese guy in Japan? No, 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 no. He was uh, an American. Japan? What? It just, we, What's Japan it connection? Fell apart. The Japan connection was I flew across the country to meet him in Japan for Asian investors that didn't exist. And also, I don't even think he was in Japan. Uh, <laughs> so just, yeah. Like the whole, I don't know what was going on with it. Wow. Ended up, in a, ended up in a mental hospital. This is what I found out years later. It's he ended up in an actual mental hospital. And the reason why the company fell apart is his, his mom took away his cell phone. <laughs> he got an email. <laughs> that is so epic. Wow. Yeah. So that was the low point, I think, of my life is watching, you know, my net worth. I thought I was rich, dude. I thought I'd made it. <laughs> and watching it go to less than zero, not even zero. But then from there, that was around the time that I filmed probably the YouTube videos that you saw, like sending the cold emails and everything. Because I was just sitting. You're like, oh, yeah, yeah, thing <laughs> yeah, like I had to do it, bro. But yeah, we doubled down. I sent, we ended up, I was selling, I was sending maybe 20, 30 cold emails a week at that point, highly personalized. But basically just using the agency case studies that I had as director of marketing, I was able to reach out to other agencies and we started making sales after a little while. So I would just play Banjo-Kazooie, you know, try to speed run that video game. While I was watching the, the sales come in and we actually went from nothing like cold start to $600,000 in annual recurring revenue in under 30 days, just via wow. email. Yeah. So you said something there. You said you were doing 20 to 30 highly personalized, personalized cold air reach day. Is that where you recommend people start? Cause I know a lot of people, they just want to go scrape hundreds of people and spam them and see what shakes out. You, it sounds like you're, you're almost the opposite, like the smallest, tightest group you can get. Well, you, you can get there. So it's a multi-step approach. So first off, if you need to learn cold email, then the best way to do it is to write your emails manually. Exactly what I did. Yeah. So I would sit in my room and I would look at their website and I would write an email to one. Then I would look at the next person's website. I'd write a full email to one. And it took hours to do this. You know, 40 emails a week was tough, man. It took like, you know, a lot of mental energy more than, more than uh, time. But yeah, by the end of that, what we had was a few winning scripts. And then from there, we were able to push. And eventually we hired, you know, we basically reinvested the 600,000 into hiring a sales team. And from there, they were able to take those winning scripts. And we got to, I think, 3,000 cents a week. Now we do even more. Typically, we're pushing all the way up to about 100,000 cents a month on specific clients. But it really is a phased approach. You find a winning script, uh, you know, let's say something that works on 200 people. It's getting six meetings for every 200 or 12 meetings even for every 200. Then from there, you scale it out to 2,000. 
and you see if the numbers hold. And then if they do, then you scale it out to 20,000. And then if those hold, you do a hundred thousand and then a million, even if the market's big enough, now you scale up from there. So it's very similar to running Facebook ads. You just really want that winning campaign. And from there you can scale. But a lot of people try to skip to the end because in a lot of ways, it's not like Facebook ads, meaning with Facebook, you could go out there and maybe spend 10,000 bucks on a campaign and make some sales with cold email. You could send the 10,000 leads and get nothing and, and you'll get marked as spam. Even. Yeah, you'll lose your beautiful domain, your .com that you've yeah. spent so many years on. So in a lot of ways, it's the same as, as ads, but in a lot of other ways, it's different because you can't skip the line with cold email. You have to build up the campaigns over time to find your winning campaigns. I love this. So I, I tell a story about, I don't know if it's real or not, but I tell a story so people kind of understand like how advertising evolved. Because if you go back, in time, before even the postal network, anybody that was a business owner was essentially a traveling salesperson, unless they were like the grocer or the blacksmith or something like that. So if you went back in time to like before postal service was around, everybody that had a business was essentially a traveling salesperson, unless you were like a local thing, like a blacksmith or a barber, but you would go town to town and be knocking on doors and going to local markets and kind of like getting on your horse and buggy and making your pitch. And, you know, on that one guy, maybe he's really ambitious, got a baby on the way or needs in their house. Somebody's trying to figure out how do I get to more bears in a day? And he realized every time I knock on a door, I'm giving the same spiel. Maybe if I wrote this down and I get to to town, I could pay some, some kids to run ahead of me, deliver the letters. And then when I get there, they're already kind of warmed up and know the deal. And he realized that after doing this, that some people are ready to buy right away. So he figures out to put an, you know, an order form on it. And then he gets to the stage where now he's not even just going door to door. He's just going to town and having kids deliver letters. And you have the postal system where now they're not even going anywhere. They're just dropping letters in the mail. And that's like the birth of advertising. And I love what you mentioned because some of the best advertisers and marketers are people with door-to-door sales experience. And you're essentially saying like knock on people's inboxes as if it was door-to-door. And when you get that, now you can scale that and find a way to do it at a high level. And that's your numbers. That's it. The way to get your pitch down is to talk to customers. There's no easy way about it. You know, I was talking to Taplio, the LinkedIn AI. I thought it was one thing. I thought it was right, you know, a month of LinkedIn content in 10 minutes. I thought that was the big thing. But the actual driver, the thing that's going to make us the most money at Taplio is really your boss wants you to write on LinkedIn. We make it fun. You know, you hate right. LinkedIn. We make it fun. That's the acquisition. And I only found that through talking to customers. There's no way I would have riffed my way into that. You know what okay. I'm What kind of questions are you asking to get? Because that's such an important thing. Again, everybody wants to know marketing strategies and tactics, but if you don't understand your market, you're dead in the water, no matter if you're producing a thousand pieces of content today. So how do you get to that, those buy buttons? That came from one of our clients. So Guillaume from Lemlist, who I talked about before, CEO of this, I think it's a 10 million outreach agency. Yeah. Yeah. He bought, yeah, it's a great tool. He used it himself. He loved it. And then he got his team on there. So we just talked to him. We're like, what's your mission? And he's like, oh, well, I want everyone on my team to write LinkedIn content, but like, they're not writing it right now. So we need to make it more fun for them. So they do it. And I'm like, oh, okay. That's our position now. That's a position. Yeah. I love it. 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 Got it. Okay. So what are some of the biggest mistakes? Now we kind of already talked about this. So I know we've talked about like what to do and I don't want to beat a dead horse, but can we speak to the biggest mistakes you see people making? Sure. In cold email, the biggest number one mistake is they're selling something people don't want. Or if people do want it, they're selling it in a way they don't want it. So for instance, I talked with a lot of agency owners 
And let's say you do web design. A lot of them feel like they're, they're web designers and they put in their pitch everything they do. Like, you know, hey, Daryl, or they won't even say love what you do. They're like, dear Mr. Whatever. Yeah. I offer web design services if you're interested. I also offer, you know, UI UX design and app development and everything else and bullet point after bullet point. Please let me know your requirements. <laughs> That's the email I get all day. Yeah. When instead they need to take it back to those three points. Like, who am I actually selling it to? Like everyone who needs a website is not a market. Is it local restaurants in, in the Chicago area? Is it breweries across the United States? Is it apparel companies that have Shopify stores? Like what is the actual niche? Then who is the actual person that I'm talking to? Because if it's the director of technology, then I'm probably going to be talking about scalability in the email versus if it's the director of marketing, I'll probably be talking about, you know, maybe even MQLs. I might use some acronyms like marketing qualified leads. Or if it's the CEO, I might talk about the overall growth of the business. So what's the target? What's the offer? And then how do I know this actually works? What's the actual case study? And some people say, oh, I don't have a case study. But if you look at their past, they do have a case study. They just need to take something that they've done in the past and generalize it out. And the question that I ask, if someone says they have no case studies, let's say you're a web designer, right? You tell me you're a web designer. And then I ask what your case studies are. You say you have no case studies. And my question is always, how do you know you're a web designer? Uh, yeah. And so whatever their answer is, and if they're like, oh, I've never built a website before in my life. Well, like, go, yeah, <laughs> don't go do a website. Yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> so from there, you get the case study and then it, it kind of works itself out. So that's the number one mistake is trying to trying to sell something either people don't want or selling a thing people do want in a way they don't want right. to purchase or it's not clear. And then number two, biggest mistake people make is not going hard enough, not sending enough emails. So like when I was first starting out, I made the same mistake, right? 20 emails a week. What am I, dude? A goofball? You know, like 20 emails a week is crazy. When we hired the sales team, we started selling 3,000 emails a week. And that's when we really started, you know, hitting traction. So these people think that they can send one email. Yeah. <laughs> like it's not even 20 a week. Like yeah. you ask people how many emails they sent. I was on a, a coaching call, you know, for a group coaching program last night. This woman was like, yeah, I sent, you know, one email. <laughs> and it's bad, dude. And that's what people think they can just succeed automatically or they can just read a book like Cold Email Manifesto and the money will just happen to them. But no, you have to actually send emails and you have to send them in a volume that makes sense. You have to run the actual plan that, that we outline. And how do you get 3,000 emails a week to send? I imagine that's a big challenge for people, especially like an old lady that is celebrating writing the one email. So that's why we have LeadShark, which is our lead gen database. You know, millions of verified contacts. You basically just go in there, pick your industry, pick your job title, pick the number of company employees that you want to target. Hit search and there's your emails right there. You can get them. You know, okay. you can buy them one at a time, buy them in bulk, whatever you need. Okay. Okay. Uh, the whole point was to get cold email ready leads in one spot so that we can get rid of all of this issue, all, all of these issues here. Cause I want cold emails to be as easy to send as possible. Yeah. And I, I really want to, similar to like how Tapleo is going to destroy social media marketing agencies. I kind of want to destroy my job. You know, I want people to be able to sell without needing cold email consultants, without needing to even send cold emails. I want to remove the sales development rep role if we can. So right. that's kind of like lead shark is step one of that, but then there's more steps I think to come. Got it. Got it. And what happens like, you know, people that are worried about 
being marked as spam and all that, what do you do? Do you message people with something free? Do you set up a domain that's like yours, but .net, not .com or what, like what? So .coms are, are better than .nets, but yeah, we do. You never want to send with your main domain. So for instance, for LeadShark, we'll send, you know, leadsharkco.com or leadsharkapp.com. We are leadshark.com, leadsharkapplication.com, uh, et cetera. We have right now 22 domains that redirect to the main lead shark page that we send cold emails from. They're going to track that? That, that still works? Do you think that they would figure that out? Like Google would be like, yo, this domain redirects, but that still works? Oh, I didn't even tell you the secret, bro. You know why this still works is because Google, Oracle, Salesforce, Amazon, they all have their email. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so anything that blocks them, anything that blocks us would block them. Otherwise it would be anti-competitive. Right, right. The right, cold right. email, it's not like SEO. You know, Google doesn't care. They'll put their article at the top. But with cold email, they can't put their email at the top of your inbox. Right. They have to follow the same rules as everyone else. Right, right, right. And what happens if you get marked to spam or blacklisted or something like that happens? If you screw up and you get marked to spam, the best thing to do is to re-roll, to start a new domain. And that's why you keep these domains kind of ready to go. I don't cherish the domains. You know, if we lost leadsharkco.com, I wouldn't really care right. that much. <laughs> right, right, right. So that's a big, big point then to not use your main domain. Because a lot of people yeah. now, you got to set up a new site, you, your SEO, all that stuff tied to it. It's a big, big You don't have problem. to. Well, you just do a forwarding. So leadsharkco.com. Right. You send that a few that's one thing. If somebody has their main domain, the, yeah. they would then have to go. I mean, maybe they just wouldn't use that for email then. I'm thinking that's, 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 that's ramifications. Like if you, if you, it's devastating. Yeah. 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 Cause all of a sudden everything's gone. So, okay. So really, I'm not just from the website, but imagine like if you can mark the spam, you might miss customer invoices. You might miss payments coming in yeah. or your collections emails now aren't going out. So your revenue could drastically right. decrease if you right. lose your Right. So what are some of the habits that your best clients and even your best teammates have in terms of, you know, running a smooth cold email operation. Number one habit is clean data. I know it sounds so boring, but like if I ask you what your open rate is on this campaign and you tell me 30 to 60%, I'm going to ask you to go back to your computer and tell me what the open rate is. <laughs> you need to know your bounce rate, your open rate, your uh, reply rate, your meeting book, even I call it lead shark number, which is the actual meeting book rate after you remove bounce rate and you remove a subject line from the equation. So let's say 50 people open the email. What number of those 50 people actually booked the meeting? That's the lead shark number that we're actually looking for. So you need to have all of this data tracked out because from there, then we have a chance of actually making improvements, right? If you tell me that you sent 200 emails, but of those 200, only 50 ended up getting open. And one person booked a meeting out of 50. I'm like one out of 50. Okay, lead shark number is 2%. That's great. Yeah. So how do we increase the open rate on that? Is it getting higher quality leads? Is it changing the subject line? What are we doing? Because we have an email that, that is converting at 2% meeting book rate. So all we have to do now, instead of getting 50 people to open out of 200, let's try to get you know 180 people to open out of 200. And the right. campaign might be winning there. But if you go in there with unclean data, uh, then you don't know. Like if you tell me you that 60% and the meeting book rate was 1%, I have no idea what that means, right? Like how many of those leads bounced? Yeah. Maybe 20% of the leads were bad leads. And at that point, then that means, you know, if 20% of your leads are fake emails, I doubt the rest of the 80 emails are any good. 
Right. Oh, maybe, maybe that's wrong. Or yeah, maybe the email subject line was just so spammy or so scammy that nobody opened it, even though the body of the email is so good. So that's the main one is tracking and knowing exactly what to do and not testing too many variables at once. So for instance, with our cold email campaigns for LeadShark that we're running right now, I called it the cold email bonanza. I wrote 50 cold email campaigns. Each one was different, completely different. Some were short, some were long, some were one sentence, some were multi-paragraph, some were highly customized with AI first lines. Some were not customized at all, super generic. And for each one of these 50, we have 200 leads that are going out for each campaign. Now, all of those 200 leads are United States-based people with the titles of director of business development or director of sales, right? Industry agnostic, because if they have those titles, that's going to be enough for this test. But what some people will do is they would instead send to that targeting and also add like CEOs. But CEOs and director of sales are two completely different stars. So if you send 10,000 emails to director of sales and CEOs, even that data is too unclean for me to even take a look at it. Yeah. You, you really need to isolate the variables you can of having when you can. Really scientific. I love it. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. You got to know what you're doing, right? If you're mixing baking soda, but it's actually baking soda with a little bit of cocaine and siphon there, you don't know what's going on. Like, hey, what's up with my actions, right? It's frustratingly scientific. And this is why, like, I, I think it's so stupid when people don't send cold emails because it's unbelievably predictable, like cheaper and more predictable than ads. It's like the most scalable thing that you could do. Send 100 emails, book six meetings, your sales guys close two of them. How much did it cost you to send 100 emails? $30 and you yeah. close out two deals worth 70 grand each. You know, it's like yeah. it's so stupid that people won't do this. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, a hundred, a hundred, a hundred, a hundred percent. And it's permissionless. I, I'm a big fan of Naval. And he talks about like permissionless forms of different of leverage. This is a permit, like you don't need anyone's permission to do that. With paid ads, Facebook's got to like you and they got to like what you're advertising and all that, you know? You don't have to worry about the permission of the person you're contacting, but they're going to like you anyways to buy your stuff. Now, it, I have two questions that are in my mind. I don't want to forget. I think I wrote them down. So that it sounds like cold email is really about booking appointments. It's not e-commerce. It's not info products per se. It's really about getting someone to show up for a call. Is that, you say that's accurate? Yeah. Everything else is a waste of, of the superpower that is cold email. Like, yeah, you could probably use it to sell $9 things, but why do that when you could sell $2,000 things or right. 10,000 or 30,000 or, or $200,000 things? Right. hundred percent. And then the next one, I guess is, do you have any suggestions? Because still much is about setting that appointment about doing that tactfully. Like, you know what I'm getting to? You mentioned before, like marketing qualified leads. Like, how do you make sure, is there a back and forth that in the follow-up with people that respond, that you make sure to check some boxes you know, when the appointment comes? You know what I'm getting to here? Like, it's a tough question, but it's like, how do you try to guarantee the sale via cold email? Sure. So you're going for, it's called BANT qualification, budget, authority, need, and timing. Do they have the budget to pay? Do they have the authority to make the decision? Do they have a need for what you're selling? And are they ready to make a decision now? What's cool about cold email versus something like Facebook ads is, you know, these guys have the budget because you're going after the right company size. You know, they have the authority because it's literally the director of sales or the CEO. Yeah. You know, they have a need because they're responding to a cold email that's saying, hey, I want to do this. And the only one you don't have is the timing. Are they ready to move now? Which mm -hmm. you can figure out that one on the call. Like we're, we're 80% of the way there. And right. if you wanted to add a further qualification stuff, you could do that after booking the call. So what I'll typically do is you really want to get the appointment on the calendar. So 
hey, are you around, you know, Wednesday at 8 p.m.? Sure, let's go. <laughs> this is me in India, bro. Yo, are you around Wednesday at, you know, 11 a.m. Eastern time? Yeah, okay, I'm down. Great. Just some quick questions before we get started. One, you know, our projects tend to run between 30 and 50 grand. Uh, is that something you'd be comfortable making a decision on? Are you the person in charge of making this decision or are there other people we'd want on the call? Do you have a need for this service right now? And when would you be looking to move on, you know, lead generation services or website development services, assuming there's a fit? So you can ask those questions, but I would ask them after the call is booked. And typically the only time I would ask those questions is if I booked a meeting through a cold call, <laughs> not even being, being, you know, because the band qualification can be done completely on the lead generation side before you talk to anyone. Right. Right. That's fantastic. That's so good. For people that are watching this, you're probably going to want to watch this a couple of times, take a lot of notes. I guess the next thing I want to ask is kind of where do you see the future trends of this industry going? Like where is cold email going to be in three to five years? You already hinted to it, but can you go into that a little bit more? Yeah, I think AI automation is a real issue. Google's already at war with automation on the SEO side. They just put a new notice out that they're very anti, it's called GPT-3, which is the newest AI. That's another one. I was talking to Justin Book about this. We were talking about machine learning and Google, but it was, there's two generations. We're two generations past GPT-3 now. And it's, it's getting real. Like it's getting close. It's not there. It's getting good. Yeah. It powers Taplio. And a lot of, like we wrote our own algorithm plus GPT-3. And I mean, I would say when you go into Taplio, there's this whole engagement feature where it'll just read somebody's post and then write a comment for them. <laughs> And not 99% of the time that comment's usable. Yeah. So we're already there, bro. It's already there. Yeah. yeah. But Google is now at war with GPT-3 because Google loves high quality content and they hate, you know, duplicate content. So what GPT-3 has been doing a lot of times is just taking, you know, old content article that exists and rewriting it. Google hates that. So they now have algorithms and stuff in place to try to fight against that. So if they start using that in full emails, um, now a lot of the automation, a lot of the AI first lines and everything that people are using to try to make this easier, a lot of that's going to start breaking down. Uh, so right. I think in the future, I think in the future, it's going to be harder uh, to book cold emails, especially as it gets more and more mainstream. This is the weirdest thing. So I've been cold emailing now for maybe seven, eight, nine years. And sure. it's only in the last two years that it's moved from like, a thing that the top billion dollar Silicon Valley companies use to grow. It's moved from that to kind of like a make money online thing. Like, hey, you know, make $10,000 a month sending cold emails. So I'm worried now. I wasn't worried two years ago. But anytime it starts doing that, the tactic usually dies. But, so uh, if you're trying to grow your business with cold email, I would do it now. And I wouldn't right. wait, you know, even a year. I would just try to get in there now. Right. Do so you think in the future? So I looked it up because I have a screenshot. GPT-3 was 2020, Jurassic 1-178B was 2021, and now Palm 540B. And it's, it's, I can't see it because it's on my phone, yeah. but it's, it's an order of magnitude better than GPT-3. It's scary what's coming out now. Have you seen Dolly too? Dolly? Oh, such weird names. Yeah, so they basically took the GPT-3 algorithm. And they, instead of writing content, Dolly, D-A-L-L-E, two, number two. Instead of writing content, now it can generate literally anything. So you can write like, paint me a bowl of oranges in the style of Picasso. Uh, it'll paint that. Or like, paint me a bowl of oranges in a hyper-realistic photo. 
and then it'll just actually literally make a photo for you. It's insane. Um, The craziest application I saw of this was like, somebody just wrote, you know, design me a modern living room. And then the painting in the back of the living room was like the most beautiful painting I've ever seen in my life. (laughs) Not even like the main part of this thing. So yeah, I mean, we're all, we're all done, you know? Cause like you think about the AI living room and it's like, yeah, it painted the painting, which replaces the artist, but like somebody designed that chair, you know what I'm saying? Like that's somebody's job. Somebody put the uh, furniture together and that job is gone. Somebody took the photo, photographer's job is gone. Every piece of that was somebody's job at some point, you know, like uh, the architect who figured out that the walls should look a certain way. You know, the guy who picks the paint color, it's like, how many jobs got destroyed in, you know, that five sentence AI generated? Uh, right, 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 right. Yeah. Okay. I hear what you're saying, but you think it's coming. So better, better to get on it now. There's a real sense of urgency to stack your cash, make your sustainable home. So you'll be okay. And not stuck in a condo trying to figure out what do I do? What do I do to serve people? We're getting attacked from all all angles. It's a restaurant. Maybe it is in Canada where they got in trouble because instead of having people at the cashier and instead of having computers, they had somebody in the Philippines for $3 an hour that would take your order via teleconference, you know, at at a McDonald's. I think they're also doing it like a dentist's office. So instead of paying $25 an hour, now they're paying $3 an hour. Yeah. It's great pay in the Philippines, but it's like we're not even under attack by robots anymore. It's like robots and cheap international labor. And technology's gotten good enough that they can do our jobs, even if, you know, you, you'd think cashier would be unreplaceable. Uh, right. No, there, there it is. So you brought that up because I think that part of what's happening is we're really entering a phase. And I, you see this, I mean, we've all come through the pandemic. You know, everyone's been pushed online. We're really turning into where the world's going to go, hopefully in the direction of a meritocracy. A lot of like, why is the U.S. dollar worth more than a Filipino peso? And a lot of it comes back to colonization. because soldiers when gunships showed up this is france and haiti they showed up in haiti we're like hey we're gonna kill everyone here and bring over some french people or 20 percent of everything you make is ours as long as you like your kids your great grandkids your great 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 that's why it's first world and third world there's no second world because the first world's standing on the labor of the third world to a certain respect and now what you're talking about is like the, the democratizing of that where if someone's able to do the job just as well it's part of why I'm in the Philippines now. I had a martial arts school and I had some little college grads, I think for 12, 15 bucks an hour at the time. And I had some Filipinos. One girl was paying her a dollar an hour. And the Filipinos were crushing, like, you know, I mean, that's why you're in India. So it's like really, I'm glad you brought that up. It comes down to meritocracy and being good at what you do. Well, the devastating thing about it, okay? What do you think the fair market value of that labor is? Is it a well, dollar? Is it, is it $2? Is it $3? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, at some point, let's say the fair market value is $3 an hour. What's going to happen to America if their minimum wage is $25 an hour, yep. if the labor is worth $3 an hour? Yep, yep, yep. The future's not looking good over there. I'm with you 100%. Because when I was in Vietnam, we had a lady come clean our house for four hours. And I think it cost me like 10 bucks or something, 15 bucks. And then that day I was on Facebook and someone was asking in a Facebook group, hey, is $50 now too much to pay this guy to sit on a riding mower and mow my lawn? And I was just like, like this woman, like was with a tooth, like a toothbrush between towels and our bathroom. Like she didn't, we tipped her as much as we were supposed to pay her. And then meanwhile, I'm like, this dude's probably drinking beer, sitting on a riding lawnmower, making 50 an hour. Like there's just a huge disconnect. And that's location-based labor, right? But yeah. most labor is not location-based. Right. If an Indian can write a blog post in English that's better than 
American labor and it yep. costs five dollars, then yep. why would you charge me two hundred fifty dollars for a blog post? It's literally yeah. the same quality. Yeah, it yeah. doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I think that's huge. So a tip for people that are concerned about this is do your best to focus on the problems because the problem is the market, not the demographics. Not a business. We all know about corruption. We all know about like monopoly stuff. But generally speaking, a business solves a problem. I'm hungry. Restaurants. My teeth hurt. Dentist office. I'm bored. Entertainment, movies, all this stuff. So you got to really focus on the problem. And it comes back to what you're saying about really connecting and talking to the people who are your buyer and having a clear target of who you're selling to. I think it's fantastic. I now, the most frightening thing about the whole thing too is like, we cried wolf about it. You know what I'm saying? For like 20 years, we heard like, you know, in the Philippines, they're going to take our jobs, et cetera. Yeah. Uh, but they weren't there. The labor, the work quality wasn't there. I'm in India right now. You're in the Philippines. Yeah. We're both on fast internet. I think I'm getting 70 megabytes down or 100 yep. megabytes down. There's LTE on my phone. Yep. I've got an iPhone. Everyone has iPhones. Everyone speaks you know, English. Like, everyone speaks English. Most of them without accents and perfectly fluent. The quality of work's the same and they work like 10 times harder. Like it's not like it was in 2009. Yeah. <laughs> it's not like the TV show outsourced. You know, like, no, they're better than Americans. They're harder working than Americans and they're yeah. cheaper than Americans and we're all done for. Well, here's the thing is by saying you can't keep wealth past three generations because the first one comes from nothing, struggles to earn it. The second one witnessed their parents, respects it, preserves it. And the third one knows nothing but luxury and squanders it. And I, I talked to a guy I grew up with. He was in Alberta. And at the time, he was complaining about all these Indian immigrants. And I'm like, what's the problem? He's like, well, they'll like live eight people to an apartment and they'll work 16 hours a day. And, I, and I'm like, but like, what you need to understand is like how good you have it where you are that they are willing to suffer and sacrifice like that. Like, you don't need to be hating on them. You need to understand that that's what you're up against. And although we've like become apex predators of the planet, like it still is a world of survival of the fittest. And like, you can complain about it, but you can't insulate yourself from the real world. Like it's there, it's knocking on your door. And I think that that's a big wake up call for people in a lot of ways. So I, I think this is great, great call, great content. I, I have two questions. One I meant to ask before, and it was about tracking because you talked about tracking your performance and results. You're talking about tracking opens included. I thought that was more of a chest beating metric that, People at Google have tried to make it go away that you couldn't track opens anymore. So they've tried to, but for cold emails, it's fine. And we're going, we go for relatively, if you're in the email marketing space, the open rates get might be laughably high, but we're going for 70 to 90% open right. rates on our emails. Okay. So we send a hundred emails, 90 of them are getting open. Right, uh, right. Because if you think about your work inbox, you're opening every email that hits your work inbox. It's not like you're subscribing to a newsletter that's going to your regular spam folder. Like we're sending this to the, you know, president of Sony Entertainment. You know, like somebody's looking at every single email that goes out. So 70 to 90% opens are not only uh, reasonable, but they're the target. That's what we're aiming for. If we sent a cold email campaign and it got 20% opens, that would be devastating. Yeah. <laughs> like that, that would be a major failure. Um, and so yeah, well, our right. targeting is terrible. Yeah, exactly. Targeting could be terrible or the, uh, the bounce rate could be too high. Maybe there's spam issues. There's a few things but yeah, for, for tracking, all of our tools are available at alexberman.com slash tools. And I just have up-to-date recommendations there. That's fantastic. It changes all the time. Yeah. Alex Berman, A-L-E-X-B-E-R-M-A-N.com slash tools for all the updated, most recommended tools. And Alex, this was such a, a great call. Like I said, I think people want to listen to this a couple of times. Is there anything I didn't ask you that I should have asked you? No, I think 
very thorough. We've been talking about AI taking over everything. Well, yeah, <laughs> yeah. The, the robots are coming. No, this is good. I mean, I think it was fantastic. Like I said, for a couple of years, the fully connected, what's connected? Like, I want to get them on my podcast because I'm just a believer in, you know, I don't believe that if you build it, they will come. I'm, I'm all about content as well, for sure. But I really think that for most people listening and watching this, like they have to get comfortable with cold outreach, with whether it's paid ads or cold emails or cold texts or our people are with clipboards on the streets. Like if you, especially with what we just went through and the world facing like a recession, like you have to get crystal clear on the problem you solve, who you want to solve it for and why, you know, that they can pay for it. And then you have to go out there and like drive your business. And so I just thank you for your time here. It's been an honor and a pleasure. And hopefully we'll get you back for another call sometime soon. Of course. Thanks for having me. And if you guys want to write LinkedIn content, go over to tapleo.com. <laughs> Tap. T-A-P-L-I-O dot com.